Welcome to the Harvest Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that it will encourage and inspire you. Enjoy this week's message. Good morning to those of you who are in this building and also to those of you who are watching online. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie to you. Now, I know that's a dangerous thing for a pastor to do because, you know, somebody might say, why did Pastor Mike tell us about that stupid movie? But I'm going to recommend a movie to you. Uh, it's available right now on Netflix if you have that uh, in your home or whatever. The movie is called It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Now, here's the story of the movie. A man named Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor in the United States. And his great passion was to reach young children, like from preschool up to maybe, say, six years old. That was his target audience. And he wanted to reach them to be able to help them understand how to deal with the hard things in life. Now, uh, my kids grew up seeing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And uh, there are many people in the United States who saw it. He was not on a Christian television station. He was on a public television station. So millions and millions and millions of people know about Mr. Rogers. Uh, the whole time that he was doing this TV uh, uh, show for children, and this really, if you ever watched it, it's kind of corny, really. It's, it's kind of, it's just, it's just kind of corny, actually. Hokey, you might say, in America. Uh, the whole time that he was doing this, he kept his ordination with the Presbyterian Church. And uh, in a story that I read about him, this is what he said about broadcasting, which we are doing for some of you who are watching this message today. He said, I like to see the space between the camera and the viewer's screen as holy ground. Now, since we've been in this condition that we've been in, some of my messages have been pre-recorded at my house, sitting in front of my computer, uh, recording the message with the camera and a little lapel mic that I bought, sending it out that way. Some have been by live Zoom broadcast, uh, other ways that we've done it. And when I discovered uh, Fred Rogers' uh, words, that we can see the space between the camera and the viewer's screen as holy ground, I said, that's what I want. I don't want us to miss anything of the, uh, of, of the work of the Spirit of God that he wants to do in our lives just because we're not physically present. How much more would, would those of us who can be physically present with each other today, how much more would we want to not miss anything that the Spirit of God is doing? So let's acknowledge today that everything that happens, whether we're here or whether we're watching uh, on a screen someplace, everything that's going to happen today in our lives will happen because of what the Spirit of God does. And He is not limited in any way to, to the things that we usually think that we have to have. Uh, I don't like a lot of this any more than you do. I'm sure none of us really love the way it is right now. And we long for... Uh, normalcy. If you want to be my friend, do not say the words new normal to me. I refuse with all my heart to believe that this is our new normal. I refuse to embrace this as though it's never going to change. I refuse to believe that we are meant to be in such a condition for an, for an indeterminate amount of time. So, I mean, you can use the term if you want to, but please don't use it with me because I'm not ready to say that. I'm ready to say that we are all receiving grace to deal with extraordinary conditions and situations as he gives it to us for the time being. But to say that this is going to be our new normal, forget those words. I shan't use them ever. And I hope you don't either, to tell you the truth. Because why should we capitulate? Why should we say that just because it has to be this way now, it's going to stay this way so that it becomes our new normal of life? No. Let us believe God for a really excellent resolution to this problem. And let us believe that he will bring that about in the best possible way without any unnecessary influence that would use a present condition for its own purposes. Now, I'm not speaking to you here in Malaysia on that. I'm speaking to my country, the United States. Because if you want to know what's happening in America right now over this, it's all politicized. Pray for the United States. And that is not a partisan prayer, but please pray for my country. So 
Having said all of that, aren't you glad we're together today on holy ground? Right? I, I, I've always liked that idea that where we gather together, we are the people of God gathered in the presence of God, however we're doing it. Uh, today, uh, before I go any farther, if you want to see some of our website information, uh, MikeDiane.com is a gateway to all of our websites. If you use that QR code that you see on the screen, just take a picture of that if you can. I'll get out of your way. Uh, that QR code will get you there, this guy right here. And uh, sorry, uh, that one. And uh, Or if you go to At 4-Minute Marriage on Facebook, just put that, that, that string into At 4-Minute Marriage into your Facebook search, and you'll find a, a number of videos that I've done on marriage that I'm trying to put out to help people. They're just four to five minutes long, and they deal with some aspect of marriage. So it's another way that we're trying to get additional reach. It's something I discovered that I could do as a result of this whole thing that we're doing right now in the world. Um, we're talking today about the river. Now, uh, let me boast for just a minute. I took that photo. <laughs> I know, now you see why I'm boasting, right? And I'll tell you where that is. That is the Shenandoah River. If any of you are old enough here, you remember, you know, uh, John Denver, Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River. Bet you never thought you'd meet somebody who lived on it. Well, we live in a town in the United States. We're here most of the time. But when we're in the United States, we live on a town that gets its water from the Shenandoah River. This is a picture taken from a bridge right, just right there in our town of the Shenandoah River looking towards the mountain in the back. It's called Signal Knob. It was important during the Civil War. Now, this river uh, winds all over the place. If you go up to a high place, like at the top of a ridge or a fire tower, you can see this river is just going like this. It's very serpentine. There's a place where you can see the seven bends of the Shenandoah River because it's going all over the place like this, just and then it breaks into north and south fork at one place, you know. Here's what you got to know about this river. It has created a valley that is very fertile. And so the whole area, the whole Shenandoah Valley, as wide as it is, is a, is a fertile farming area. Do you know why it is? Because of the river. Because of the river. Our Bible uses a lot of picture language to help us understand deep truths that can sometimes better be understood or can be better personalized through a picture than they are through uh, many words. And one of the favorite pictures of the Bible is the picture of the river. In the prophets, it occurs commonly. And we're going to look at just one passage about that today, and then we're going to start to see ways that we can apply it in our lives. So our scripture today is going to be very simply, oh yeah, you're wondering whether I'm going to trip and fall, right? Well, if I fell over that, I have a word from the Lord from your pastor, that if I fall, I shall not be cast down. <laughs> I love that scripture. Can I stop for a minute and... I don't know. Have I ever told you the words of this song that's become a theme song for us? Your words in Psalm 37 reminded me of it. Because sometimes you think, you know, if you've been doing what we've been doing as long as we've been doing it, you must be a mighty person of faith. Hardly. Hardly. I need God as much and as deeply and as personally today as I ever have. And there are things that were hard for me 50 years ago that are still quite difficult for me today. So, uh, you know, some of the songs we sing are very triumphant. But uh, uh, Carol Cimbala, uh, Jim Cimbala's wife, wrote a song when she was going through a very serious trial in her life. Now, I didn't know about this trial that she was going through in her life when she, when, when, the, when, that's when she wrote the song. I just know that the song has been like a testimony to us all of our lives. So I'm, I'm trying to think here whether I should try to sing it or just say it. Sing it. I have the word of the Lord from your pastor. So if this doesn't work out, blame him. So, <laughs> no, it shall be okay. Listen to the words of this song and see if it doesn't help you. In my moments of fear, through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's been faithful 
to me. Every word he promised is true. And what I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. You have to pardon me, I'm breaking up here because this song means a lot to me. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, yet he's been faithful, faithful to me. And the verse says, second verse says, that the days I spent so anxiously reaching out for what pleased me still, my God, he was faithful to me. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, he's been faithful to me. Do you know why he is faithful to you and to me? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. He just is the faithful God, the faithful God. And I don't know, for what it's worth, maybe you need that more than the rest of what I'm going to say today. I don't know. But if, if, that's, if that's God's special word to you today, even with my little sobbing and my crying and my jerks and my voice and everything, uh, just take it and believe it and trust him with wherever you are in your life right now. So for going back to our, our river now, I think I've kind of been in it here for a while, but, but, uh, but, but going back to our river, uh, there we go. Ezekiel 47. Now, this is just one phrase out of one scripture in Ezekiel. The whole chapter is about the river of God. It's a beautiful prophetic picture of a restoration that God is planning. God is always a God who's looking for a way to restore. So even though Israel messed up badly, went after foreign gods, uh, insulted the God who had saved them and delivered them and given them their land and given them everything that they had, insulted him by their actions, uh, had uh, attributed their blessings to things that were not gods, uh, said, oh, the foreign idols of the people around us, that's what we want to worship. Do you know why they did that? Because their hearts had turned away from the living God. You know why that happened to them? Because they thought that if they worshipped these other so-called gods, they could do things and have things that the holy God of the universe would not give them. In other words, they did not believe that the Lord our God is a sun and shield and that he alone gives grace and glory, that no good thing will, we, will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. They didn't believe that. They thought that maybe if I worship another god, I can get some other stuff that this god won't let me have. Now, that's a foolish way to live. It's a dangerous way to live. And, and, they, and they chose it, and they chose it over and over and over again. And what does the holy god of the universe do? He says, I'm going to restore you. I am faithful to my promises and faithful to my people if my people will allow me to be faithful to them. He cannot demonstrate his faithfulness to someone who says, I don't want you. He cannot demonstrate his power in any life that resists him and rejects him. But to Israel, at least to a remnant of Israel, those who wanted him to be their God, that remnant would see the fulfillment of the promises in their lives. So that's the whole background of Ezekiel 47. We'll talk about it uh, more in just a minute. It's all about a river. But here's just the one phrase I want us to hold as a kind of a beginning point for this message. Where the river flows, life abounds. Where the river flows, life abounds. Let's see, are, are you guys served out here by Ayer Selangor? I bet you weren't last week because someone poisoned the river. Now, can I just say in passing that as servants of God... As people of God, as people of the Word of God, one thing you and I must never do 
is poison the river. That is to say, we should not in any way put our stuff, our junk, our ideas, our, 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 our special little emphases into the river of God and then pro, pro, you know, present that to people as though that's the real thing. Don't poison the river. By the way, how do you spell that word water in Malay? A-I-R, right? So someone said, are you planning? They, they said there was this Monsale guy who said he had to cancel his flight on Air Selangor. <laughs> and I hear, you know. <laughs> so I wrote back to the person. I said, yeah. And I had to cancel my flight on Air Crow. Air Crow. <laughs> so, so what we're talking about here is a river that has its source in God. Let's, let, let's see what the, the, the message of this river is so that we can understand where we're at today and where we're going to go with it. In, in this chapter, there's a picture of water that starts as a little bit of a, just a trickle coming from underneath the temple and flowing out from the temple. And as it flows out from the temple, it gets wider. And this um, angelic guide who's taking Ezekiel on this tour of the future, how'd you like to have that happen to you? Let me take you on a tour of the future. And so he, he, he takes him down there, and the water gets a little wider, and it's up to his ankles. And then he goes a little farther, and it's up to his knees. He goes a little bit farther, and it's up to his waist. And then he goes farther, and it's waters to swim in. Now, we, we can see the picture. It has one source, and there are no tributaries flowing into it along the way. In the United States, the Mississippi River is very big. It's our largest river. It goes right down the middle of the continent almost, but it's fed by many other rivers. And so when the Ohio River flows into it or the Missouri River flows into it or other rivers, it's all tributaries draining into the Mississippi River, making it as big and mighty as it is. But this is not true of the river of God. The river of God only and always has just one source. And that source is in the sovereign power of God in the sovereign grace and love of God, in God himself. And the picture is that he is going to send life out into the world. And it's going to become more and more prominent. And wherever it goes, things will grow. And the things that grow will have a healing, redemptive influence on the people around them. The trees along the river shall be for the healing of the nations. And so there's this gorgeous picture, and, and uh, you know, I just learned yesterday by listening to a guy named N.T. Wright that uh, when you're reading the Bible, don't expect all of the metaphors to be consistent because they're not, and every metaphor also has limitations, including this one. But here's the picture that we get then. You've got this river that starts very small and spreads out and keeps spreading out and keeps spreading out. So... As it spreads, it's carrying life everywhere. So here's the message that this river has. There is a unique source of life, and that, that unique source of life is in God. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. What kind of life? Abundant life. Who is the source of abundant life? Only God. Only the one true God of the universe is the source of this life. So there's a, a unique source of life that's, that it's unique in reach. It's unique. It, it can go farther, reach more people. It's unique in power. There's nothing else like it. It's, it's unique in purity because there's no impurity in the life of God. And wherever it goes, it brings purity to the lives of those it touches. It's unique in purity. It's unique in productivity because there is no fruit that can be produced by anything like the fruit that's produced by the Spirit of God working in people's lives. There's nothing to compare to that anywhere. It's a unique source, and it broadens. It gets bigger, right? So the, the reach of this river is unlimited because the source of this river is the sovereign God. And if you want proof that the reach of this river is unlimited, look at your own life or look at the person next to you. Uh, when I was listening to N.T. Wright, uh, in interesting uh, little story here. He he said he was in a conference in 1989 in, in England, 
And uh, the conference was convened by the Archbishop of Canterbury, who I think that time was Rowan Williamson. Is that, is that the right name? If you're not Anglican, you wouldn't know. and <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so he, they, they had this conference, and they asked a Jewish rabbi to come and speak at this conference. This, this Jewish rabbi, he said, was a very humble man. And they said to the Jewish rabbi, have the people of Israel, have the Jewish people fulfill the mandate God gave them in the Old Testament to take his life to the nations. And the Jewish rabbi looked at them and he said, let me ask you a question. How many Jews are there in China? And he said, I'll answer that question for you. About seven or maybe eight. That was his reckoning at that time. He said, now let me ask you another question. How many people who believe in Jesus are there in China? Do you know? It's millions. It's millions of people. So he said, if you ever wonder whether we, as a Jewish people, have fulfilled our mandate in spreading the message as we saw it in the Old Testament, he said, the answer is no, but you have. What a powerful thing to say. What a powerful thing to say. You see, truthfully, there is nothing at work in the world today that is as powerful as what the Spirit of God is doing. Nothing that has as much of a reach. Nothing that can penetrate cultures like it does. Nothing that goes to places where it goes. Nothing that changes the heart like it does. Nothing else like it anywhere. It's that wonderful. And we here, whether you're watching online or watching here, have the privilege of being people who have experienced this life for ourselves. We have that privilege, and we must not ever, ever overlook it. So let's see if we can put that into a, a statement. God's living river brings life to the lifeless. It brings hope to the hopeless. It brings healing to the broken. It brings fruitfulness to the barren. Do you feel lifeless today? Open your heart to the Spirit of God and the life of God. Do you feel hopeless today? Open your life to the Spirit of God and the life of God and let Him give you a new hope, a new hope. Do, do you feel broken today? Open your life to the Spirit of God and see Him begin a healing work in you that will make you a different kind of person so that your future will be much different than your past. Uh, are, are you, are you a, a barren person today? Do you feel like there's nothing in my life that's worth anything? I don't know what my life is here. I, we, my wife and I talked to a young woman just uh, two nights ago. And she's, she's a nice young lady, born again, goes to a big church in KL. But she said, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is. She wanted to know how I understood our calling. And I said, well, my story is going to be different than yours. But, but one thing I do know is that God wants his life to be shown through your life to other people. Uh, do, do you feel like your life is barren? Maybe what you need to do is let the Spirit of God have some influence in that area of your life because he does these things. Now, here's the other thing we have to recognize. We don't enter the river. According to the Bible, the river enters us. John chapter 4. Jesus was talking in the most unlikely place to the most unlikely person, Samaria and a woman. And he's a Jewish man that they call rabbi, teacher. He's not permitted to talk to a Samaritan woman, let alone a woman in private like that. And he's in Samaria where lots of people wouldn't go, talking to a woman that lots of people wouldn't talk to. It's an insignificant encounter, insignificant except for this one thing, that when Jesus is there, it's never insignificant. I could meet a thousand people in a day and it wouldn't matter. And sometimes I feel like I have. But when Jesus encounters somebody, something is going to happen. And he asked the woman for water. You guys know the story if you've read the Bible very much. He asked the woman for water uh, and, and, uh, and, and she says, and then he, and then he says, if, but if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And they have this dialogue goes back and forth. It's kind of a cat and mouse game for a while. She's asking leading questions. He's asking other questions. All of this is being moved towards one moment when she says this, Lord, if you've got water that satisfies thirst permanently, if you have water that satisfies thirst permanently, give me that water. He said, he who believes in me. Do you believe in Jesus today? 
Do you still believe in Jesus today? Or was it that you believed in Jesus 25 years ago and you've still been just sort of acting like it? Do you still believe in Jesus? He that believes in me, Jesus said, it will be for him like a well of water. Where? Down the road? In Jerusalem? No. Springing up inside of him. John 7. He's at the feast. And on the last great day of the feast in John 7, 38 and 39, Jesus says very loudly so everybody could hear him in the place. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believes in me, as the scripture says, out of where? Out of Jerusalem? Out of the Klang Valley? Out of where? Out of some holy place where somebody said, we've got the secret over here and nobody else does? No. Out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Good grief. Or more appropriately, good God. There, there's, there's not a way that anybody could, could say that that captures how dynamic and how marvelous it is. So instead of trying to get into the river, just let the river flow in you. Let the river flow in your life. Let the river flow everywhere. See, let me tell you something about Jerusalem. It doesn't have a river. It can't have a river because it's on a mountain. They had to pipe water in from the Kidron Valley. They had to build a big bronze brass holder in the temple for the water that was needed for the sacrifices. It doesn't have a river. So we're talking about something that is spiritual in nature here. And Jesus affirms that with what he says in John 4 and John 7. So, you know, uh, some Pentecostal preachers, and, I, you know, if you want to preach it this way, that's fine. You can do it, I guess, if you want to. But here's how it used to go. This is how I used to hear it. Now, I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters today, that you can have as much of God as you want to have. Some of you here only want to have an ankle experience with God. But I'm telling you, if that's all you want, that's all you're going to get. But some of you are going to have a knee experience with God. But he said, I'm telling you today, my brothers and sisters, God doesn't want you to have an ankle experience or a knee experience or a waist experience. He wants you to have a swimming experience with him. Can you say amen? See, you're saying amen. I knew you would. <laughs> and I'm not joking with you. And somebody, you know, I, I was doing this message in another church, and they're, they're, they're looking at me. Eyes are big. I can't see their mouths because of you. You know, it's like we're masked, you know. But their eyes are getting big. And I, I'm thinking, they're probably saying, you know, Pastor Mike, why don't you preach like that all the time? <laughs> well, I'll give you a really simple answer to that because it would kill me. <laughs> because if I preach like that, I'm not being me. And when you try to be somebody else, you will shorten your life. You will lose a few days because you're putting so much energy into being what you're not. You know, we, it takes a whole lot of energy to practice, to, 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 to copy somebody else. It takes a whole lot less energy to be you. So, you know, if, if God had wanted one more of him, he would have made me that way, but he didn't. I would love to preach like T.D. Jakes, but there's only one T.D. Jakes, and, I, and I'm not him. So it's not a question of we getting into the river. It's the river getting into us. And, and, that, and that means for everybody. It means for everybody. Now, uh, the purpose of all of this life that God gives us is always fruit. And fruit, as we understand it from the Bible, is anything produced by God's life in and through our lives. Generally, it's something that God's life is producing in and through our lives that wouldn't be there if his river wasn't flowing in us. And it can be the fruit of the Spirit. It can be people that you went to Jesus. It can be the ministries that you're involved in. It could be anything. And we're going to be talking about this now in five different dimensions of our lives. How this river of God, his life working in your life and my life, how this river working in us flowing in us, energizing us, giving life to us, produces fruit in our lives that glorifies God in five different ways. But before I get there, let me just tell you one story. When I was a pastor of a small church in the United States, which is, by the way, the only kind I ever pastored, maybe I wasn't very good at it, I don't know, but they were always small. And I, I, had, this, I had an office uh, on the main street of this uh, little town 
upstairs above a barber shop, and I could look out my window and see the, the main road. In England, they call it a high street, but there wasn't much high about this street. You know, it, was, it was in a town. That town was famous for making beer and for the university and for a store that sold the beer. So they said the three things that set that town apart are the people who make it, the people who drink it, and the people who sell it. <laughs> the brewery, the store, and the students. And I'm sitting there, when, when, standing there one day looking out my window, and I pictured in my mind, like a vision, a river flowing right down the middle of that street. And here's what I saw. Everywhere a door was opened, the river flowed in. But everywhere the door was closed, the river could not flow in. The river was still there. The life was still available. And you know, you and I today, wherever we are, are capable of grieving the Spirit of God. We are capable of closing doors that stop the flow of his life into our lives and therefore stop the production of his fruit in our lives. And all we ever have to do is just open the door. And his life, it happens in different, different ways. It happens through different mechanisms. It happens at different paces. But his life will flow into our lives. Now, let's suppose today that you're listening online or here, and you're wondering, should I believe in Jesus or not? Well, let me tell you something. If you believe in Jesus... The life of God, the moment that you believe, the moment that you say the prayer that says, Lord, I believe in you and I, I take you as my Savior, something mystical happens. What is mystery? Mystery means something God does that you can't understand no matter how hard you try. Something God does that you can't understand no matter how hard you try. So uh, Jesus said the wind blows where it wants to. Nobody knows, you know, we know how it sounds and we can see what it does, but he said to them, we don't know how it happens. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So if you today are listening to this and you have never believed in Jesus, let me tell you what's going to happen. The moment that you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I take you as my Savior. I see that you died for my sins and I want you to forgive me. The moment that you pray that prayer, no matter how you feel about yourself today and no matter how shaky you feel, the moment you do it, you've opened a door to new life. And that new life is going to start doing in things in you that nothing else can do. And the progressive result of that will be a life that bears fruit to the glory of God. And you know what else? The, the other fruit of it is you will feel so good about that life. I don't think that you feel very good about the one you have right now, but you'll feel so good about that life when God is doing what he wants to do in your life. Now, after we have believed in Jesus, it's also possible for us to selectively close off parts of our life to the influence of the Spirit of God. And that's what we don't want to do. So as we're listening to these next little bit of this message, I want you to please consider where you might be shutting off the influence of the Spirit of God in your life and where we might ask him to do something that he wants to do in us. He's ready, he's willing, he's able. But sometimes we just close him off from someplace in our lives. So let's talk about five different dimensions in which we bear fruit. For, to the glory of God. The first is upwards to God. Because ultimately, when new life, God's life, enters into our lives, it makes us people who no longer want to live for ourselves or live to please the world around us or live by the world's standards, but we become people who are trying to understand what it means to please the Lord. There is a new desire in us that wasn't present before. And it takes precedence over all other desires and purifies other, all other desires so that our one desire, this is my desire. What is that song we sing? To honor you. If you sing that with sincerity, do you know why you do? Because the river of God has flown into your life. Because now there's a desire in you to honor the one who has saved you, the one who created you, the one who is your father and your redeemer and your provider. And, and your life, your whole life becomes an expression of worship to God. We did ourselves a great disservice in the church um, probably 30 or 40 years ago 
when we started talking about worship as the thing that happens for the first 30 or 45 minutes of a service. When we're, that, that's an expression of worship, but the heart of worship, like Matt Redmond said in his song that he wrote, the heart of worship is coming back to the place where all of our life is available to God for him to do with, with us what he wants. And it's not just about uh, an experience or, or a feeling. I, I'm okay with experiences and feelings. I, I don't like loud music, but I'm okay with it if that's what helps you to, to, uh, to have an encounter with God. I don't think it's ungodly or anything like that. Uh, I think it's more of a, a matter of whether you can take chili or not. You know, actually, some people can take padas chili. Some people can't, you know, and some people like it very hot. Some people don't. Fine. Leave it alone. Do what you have to do to make sure that everybody can have an experience of expressing their worship to God through what's happening here. That's what, that's what we're after. But worship is much more than that. The heart of worship is in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. That means give your whole self. Give your whole self. You know, like the old Don Moen song, Lord, I offer my life to you. That's worship. And, and, and Paul even said that. He said, that is your spiritual worship. And it's, by the way, the most reasonable response that you could have to a God who has done everything for you. So you just give your whole life to him. So the first expression of our worship is upwards to God. May I just ask you today, briefly, are you still a true worshiper of the true and living God? Or is something else dimming his glory for you? Because he doesn't, it doesn't need to be dimmed. I'm not asking you whether you're having emotions or feelings. I'm just asking you whether your heart desire is to honor him in everything. If it is, glory to Jesus. It'll be great. I, quick story. A uh, long time ago when I was young here in Malaysia, I had this idea. Wouldn't it be great... If, you know, so we could tell the people who are really serious about God from the ones who weren't serious about God. If when we were baptized, God installed three LED lights in our forehead, like a stoplight, red, yellow, green. And then when the pastor's singing, you know, and leading us, Lord, I offer my life to you. He can just look out there and see how many people are green light people. Green light people. The green light people, they're the ones who are going to be winning people for Jesus, volunteering to teach Sunday school, coming to the prayer meetings. Uh, you can trust them to maybe possibly serve on the church committee. When the AGM happens, the green light people are going to be going, let's do more for Jesus. Hallelujah. And then he'd be looking out there and he'd be like, yellow light people, Lord, I offer my life to you. Caution light. I'm saying it, but I don't totally believe it. And then, of course, then there's the red light people. And they're the ones who creep in to fool the flock, to cheat the sheep, to take advantage of the people. Lord, I offer my life to you. And if you saw the red light, he would have the usher surround that person immediately, isolate that particle, <laughs> and talk to that person about whether they're really sincere or not. And I thought, what a great scheme, until I realized that I, as the pastor, would have the same lights in my head. <laughs> and that means when I'm standing up, you're saying, give your all to Jesus. Let him have all of your life. And, you know, God knows that there's some part of me that I haven't said yes to him yet. The little yellow light comes on, and then you know whether I was serious or not. That's what it means to worship God. It means that we give all of our life to him. And even if you don't know what that means, just tell him, I don't know what it means in all the details, but I want to honor you because you have redeemed me. That's the upward dimension of worship. If that door is closed in your life, would you open it today, wherever you are, and say, Spirit of God, I want you to help me because you are the Spirit of God to offer my life and my songs everything I do in worship. That's the upper dimension. And then, uh, so that means, here's a, a phrase to sum it up for you. Eternal life focuses our hearts on God as our creator, our father, our redeemer, and our provider. That that's, creates a worshipful heart in us. 
and we don't fake it. And then the inward part is our hearts itself. And that's our attitudes and our desires and our motivations. That's the inward part of this, of, of, of this work of the Spirit of God. Because so much happens in you and me because of attitudes and desires and motivations. My attitudes and my desires and motivations can be very mixed. But what the Spirit of God is doing is trying to change my attitudes, my desires, and my motivations. Galatians chapter 5 calls this process the fruit of the Spirit. And so our lives become more internally characterized and, and also corporately characterized by love, by joy, by peace, by long-suffering, by gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, patience. I think I might have missed one. I usually do. But that, that's set. And that's not all that God does in our lives. But it is a selection of the kinds of things that you could expect to see in your internal life demonstrated through your internal life to those around you in your relationships because the, God, the Spirit of God is working in you. Because that is happening. You can expect to see that in your life. And can I just read Galatians 5 when you leave here today? Look at what he says about what the flesh creates. What's the flesh? The flesh is the part of me that doesn't want to surrender to God. The flesh is the part of me that wants something else other than what God wants. The flesh is the part of me that wants to align itself more with the world than it does with God. Now look at what he says the works of the flesh are in Galatians chapter 5. And ask yourself, when you look at what the, what the works of the flesh are and you look at what the fruits of the Spirit are, which kind of life would you rather have? Would you rather have a, a life full of strife and lust and hatred and misery and division and all the things that are mentioned there in that, in that ugly passage of Scripture that this, this is what happens when you don't surrender your life to God? These are the kind of things. He doesn't mean by, that, by the way that all of that will grow in every person. It just means some of that will grow in every person who resists the work of the Spirit of God. But the, the fruit of the Spirit, oh, my goodness, wouldn't that be a better life? What, what gives you more joy, walking through a junkyard or walking through a garden? Which gives you more joy, walking through a junkyard? Oh, someone's here saying, yeah, the junkyard, because I love to find old things and make them new. I know you're very spiritual. That's good. But on the whole, if I have to spend my life living in a junkyard or living in a garden, I'll take the garden. Uh, are you a junkyard husband today? Or are you a garden husband are you a junkyard wife or are you a garden wife? God's doing something in us, making it possible for barren lives to produce fruit to the glory of God. And it happens upwardly and it happens inwardly. And then backwards. That's our past. Now, I don't know if the picture that I chose for this slide describes how you look at your past or not. But when I look at my past, there's a lot of stuff back there that I'd like to forget about. There's a lot of stuff back there. And there's some of it nobody knows about, including my wife. There's a part of my life from the time that I was, my dad died when I was 13. From the time that my dad died, around the time I was 12, 13 years old, until the time that I believed in Jesus, and maybe even a little while afterwards, there's a lot of messy stuff in my life. And if Jesus hadn't saved me, all of that messy stuff in my life could today be defining me, could be the message of my life, could be causing all kinds of complications in my life. But you see, Jesus redeemed me. So how does the Spirit of God work on our past? Now, here's what I don't think he does. You, you can agree with me or disagree with me on this if you want to. Uh, I have never gone to someone and said, uh, okay, let's walk back in, in your past and let's see if you can see Jesus going through it with you. I, I, don't, I don't do that, um, but I'll tell you what God did in me. The more I concentrated on what God had done for me in Christ Jesus today, the more my past had little influence on me. Uh, this backward look at our past does these things in our lives. It, 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 eternal life, when we're, when we're looking at our past through the vantage point of people who become new people in Jesus, that life 
brings freedom from our past through a fresh understanding of grace, forgiveness, and empowerment. Because the things that happened in your past that you're, you, you regret, they happened because maybe you didn't know how to have grace, and now you do know how to have grace. And you didn't know how to forgive people or receive forgiveness, and now you do know how to forgive people, and you do know how to give forgiveness. And, and, and you didn't feel powerful. You felt weak. But see, the life of God inside of you brought to you by the Spirit of God, just because he loves you so much that he wants to do it, and just because he wants to draw you into this great, wonderful thing that he's been doing for ages and let you have a personal part in it, that life gives you a new way of experiencing your past. We're not bound by it anymore. If you still are today, would you open that door a little bit wider? Would you say, Spirit of God, give me at least the desire to forgive the people that hurt me so badly whenever they did it. And, and let the Spirit of God give you a new freedom from the bitterness and resentment that you felt. Let him renew your mind. If you've been told all the time, uh, up until the time, up until today, maybe you are worthless. You are useless. You can't be anything. Uh, I'm sorry that that we even gave birth to you. I really wanted to abort you, but uh, but I couldn't. Uh, I, I, you don't deserve to be on this earth. Any version of those things that you've heard in your past. Good news. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Truth, and all that stuff that you were told came from a spirit of lies. It came from a spirit that wants to hurt. The, the people who said it, they were busted and broken up themselves. They didn't want us to say what else to do. They were busted and broken up. And then, they, we, then we say these things to each other. I wish you'd never been born. I hate you. Or somebody at a very vulnerable moment in your life said something about you that just wounded you so deeply. Now, if you ask the Spirit of God, open that door and let him in there. When, my, when we were very young in the ministry, I think I've got time for this. Uh, when we were very young in the ministry, I was preaching my very first revival. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not known for that. But I was preaching a revival for a little church in Oklahoma, USA. And during one of the meetings, my wife got a vision. She saw herself standing in front of a door that was closed. And the door was a door to a storage closet. And she knew that inside that closet was all of her junk, all of the stuff that she didn't want anybody to ever see. Do you have any place like that in your house? Maybe it's a, a drawer or a cabinet someplace, and you put all of your bottom bottom in there, you know, that you hope nobody, you don't want to throw it away because maybe you'll use it someday, but, but you just put it in there, you know. And, and so that's what this room was, this storage closet. And Jesus was standing in front of the door with Diane, and, and he said, Diane, no doubt holding her by his right hand. <laughs> Diane, open the door. She said, Lord, all of this in a vision. Lord, if I open that door, all of this junk is going to fall out. And then what's going to happen? We'll be buried by the junk. And Jesus said, trust me, open the door. And so she said, okay. And she opened the door in the vision. And sure enough, here comes all this junk. All the stuff that isn't true, all the things said about her, all the, you know, whatever your junk is, comes pouring out of that closet until it was empty. And then Jesus said to her, Diane, step inside. She said, but Lord, it's a closet. And he could have said to her at that moment, not anymore, it's not. Because I do marvelous things. See, you've got this little place in you that's holding on to all your junk, all this stuff people said about you that isn't true, all the lies you've ever believed, all the things that are, that are going on in there, all these things you think you need but you don't, all of that. And it's taking up all this, but, but, but take it out. So she, she, you know, she steps into the closet, and the closet was no longer a storage closet. It had become this great big room filled with light. There is a place in your life that is taking up room that could be filled and energized and renewed by the presence and the power of God. Just open the door. The river is here. Open the door. Let him in. And then outward for relationships. You're probably wondering, why giraffes? 
Well, I just figured that some of us here are people who stick out our necks for God. So, giraffes. Besides, I thought they were cute. Don't you think they're cute? And, and this, this is kind of a heavy message, you know, so you need something to laugh at. If you can't laugh at a giraffe, you are seriously flawed. You, that, because I think God made that and said, they're going to love that. Because <laughs> it just doesn't look like it should exist. But they're cool animals. So the Spirit of God is always working in the area of relationships. And that's an ongoing work that he does in all of us. That never really is totally done until we are in a new world. Eternal life always leads to repaired relationships and an increased harmony among the revived. So when you see families breaking up, or when you see churches breaking up, it's not because the Spirit of God wants it to happen. Because if we allow the Spirit of God to do His work in our lives, then there will not be all of the division. We could have misunderstandings. We could, we could find ways to settle it. But it wouldn't be like it is so much of the time. And wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be refreshing? I think you all here who are part of Harvest know how refreshing it is to be a part of a fellowship where there aren't a whole lot of undercurrent issues going on. There aren't a whole lot of power struggles going on. There's nothing like that happening. Because you all want the glory of God more than you want your own way. And, and as, if you stay that way, my goodness, how much God can do. How much God can do. So, and going a little farther afield, maybe there is some place in your life where there's a relationship that is still broken. Uh, here's what the Bible says you should do about it. In Romans chapter 12, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Now, you may have a, a relative, family member, neighbor, someone, a colleague, and you know they, they're just going to be mean. They're just going to continue to, to discount you, uh, treat you badly, but you do as much as you can so that there is no reason for them not to reconcile with you because of the way you're acting. There's every possibility that they could, but there's a limit to how much you can do. That's not a, a specific statement for every situation or context here, but it is a general rule of behavior for us. We let the Spirit of God influence our relationships. And boy, when, he, when, when He's re influencing us, relationships become healthier every single time. And then uh, there's a forward dimension of this river of God that, that, that creates in our lives purpose and mission. Purpose and mission. What if you had a purpose, but you didn't have a mission? My purpose is to glorify God. That's great. Our purpose is to let the world know about Jesus. What form is that going to take? What is your mission? And we, 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 we have to put the two together because the Spirit of God is constantly helping us to see how we live out our purpose, what form that takes in our mission at the present time. And what have you done through this whole uh, MCO time and our MCO time? What have you done? You have not abandoned your purpose. You have not abandoned your mission, but you have adjusted your mission for the fulfillment of your purpose. You have done that. Not only you, but many other churches around the world are doing the same thing. You have adjusted your, your mission, the, the, the way you do it, for the sake of maintaining your divine purpose. And those who do that will succeed, and they will see the glory of God going forward. In a personal way, uh, it could be today that there's someone here, and you know the Spirit of God is, you can hear the water lapping at the door of your will. <laughs> Open up. I have something new for you to do. Open up. I have a higher purpose for your life. Open up. Open up. And then something inside of you is saying, don't open it, don't open it, don't open it. Maybe he'll send you to Africa. I used to feel that way. And then someone told me, they said, if you surrender your life to God and tell him, I'll do whatever you want me to do, he won't send you to Africa. Then he sent us to Africa. So I can't tell you that he won't, but I can tell you that if he does, he'll be with you and he'll help you. 
and he'll use it in your life, and he'll use that in other people's lives as well. So that's our forward purpose and mission. <laughs> the river of God always produces fruit to the glory of God. Always produces fruit to the glory of God in these areas that we've talked about. Upwards, inwards, outwards, backwards, forwards. Let's let him do it. Here's the last piece of good news. Psalm 65, verse 9. God, you are the one who visits the earth and you water it and you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. That means there's enough life in God to take care of whatever the issue is that you've got going on in you right now. And so you provide, you provide grain for the harvest for so you have prepared it. Just the underlined phrase in that verse, the river of God is full of water. Would you open all the doors today? Could you do that? Let's pray. Those of you who are watching on a screen someplace at home, please don't feel like you have to stand. But um, can we all together, whether we're here or someplace else around the world, could we all just take this moment to say, Lord, I want to open every door that is blocking any work of your spirit in my life. I, I, I want to open them all to you and let you, Holy Spirit, be welcome here. Now, you know, we sang this song earlier, and the song says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fill this room, uh, fill this place, and flood the atmosphere. Do I have those words right? Okay, just for right now, when Reuben and the team lead us in this song, personalize it just for right now and say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, here in me. Come fill this place, me, me. Guys, fill me. Come fill this place, this place right here, this place. Come fill this place and flood this atmosphere. You're not always going to feel like you're going to feel it today. But his presence is not, first of all, a feeling. It's a promise. And, and, and he will be influencing all these areas of your lives. Open that door today. The Word of God tells us if you today open that door of your heart, the Spirit of God will come and do that work. Wherever you are standing here this morning, and those who are watching from home, if you can just open the door of your heart and believe that the Spirit of God can come and change the situation. Fill up that vacuum, that emptiness. Flood out all those things that should not be there. It's the river of living water. It's the river of fresh water. All those that have been stagnant for years, let it out Father in Jesus name today we come to you let the river of God flow in every heart that is listening here God bring healing bring fruitfulness bring power that can only come from your presence Bring seasons of refreshing. Lord, bring restoration, we pray. Let the river of God flow today. We confess there may be some of us here. Lord, the river has been blocked. It's now a dam of stagnant water. And we pray that, Lord, you will break that dam again. That the river of God will start flowing. Healing relationship. Bringing restoration. Bringing fruitfulness to your people. Even today we pray for Malaysia, Lord God. The Sabah election, the Sarawak election, and even Malaysia election in the coming days. And even Pastor Mike even mentioned we pray for healing upon America as well. 
Lord, let the healing flow through this nation. Let restoration begin in every home that is here, in every relationship that is here, that no one walk away from this presence, Lord, believing that you have already touched and healed us. And so in Jesus' name we pray today, heal us, restore us, that the river of God will once again flow mightily in our lives. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a big clap offering today. Believe God for that healing. Believe God for the healing. Amen, amen, amen.